Great. Well, this is a uh, this is a day of celebration, um, with it being Palm Sunday and the beginning, the first day of, of Holy Week. This is a celebration, and uh, we are going to celebrate quite a bit today. Um, part of our celebration for the day will be the baptism service that we'll have uh, immediately after worship. And, and if you haven't been a part of that before, or if you have been a part of that before, really encourage you to come and uh, to celebrate your friends and to celebrate your family as they make that proclamation. It's a beautiful thing as we go down to the creek old school style. You know, I feel like there should be like some gospel singing on the bank or something. It's, it's going to be great, man. And uh, it's going to be a beautiful day as people are baptized, expressing and proclaiming the truth of what God has done within them. And it's this outward expression and this physical expression of what God is doing within them and what God is accomplishing spiritually in them. And it's a perfect way to begin Holy Week, this week where we celebrate the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what baptism symbolizes and celebrates as we go under the water, buried to sin and and dead to who we used to be and raised up in the resurrection that Jesus Christ wins for us. It's going to be a beautiful day. So I really encourage you uh, to come and to hang out with us and then to hang out uh, for lunch afterwards as well and get to know each other and spend some time together. It's going to be great. Cool. Father, thank you today for what we get to celebrate. Thank you for this moment that we're celebrating here In the scripture on Palm Sunday, this moment of of the triumphal entry, when the king comes into the city, when the king rides in, or the king is crowned. And it seems like the culmination of the whole story, but we know it is a glimpse, a small glimpse of what is really about to happen and the way that you are truly going to be crowned and claim your title as king. So today... We celebrate, we anticipate, we're really excited about what you have to teach us and how you're going to shape us today. And um, we just, we, we praise you from the bottom of our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to start with, uh, with a little bit of good news today. Um, after some careful deliberation and uh, some conversations with my family and other people that I trust, I have decided not to declare for the NBA draft. All right. There you go. (laughs) After I did a little research and was told I would go at earliest in the eighth round, and there are only two rounds to the NBA draft. All right. Not good. Um, Yes, we're all in a bit. There's a bit of mourning, right, over the news from the past week, but that's all right. A new day is coming. It is all right. We love them. We celebrate them. It's going to be okay. Okay, cool. That has nothing to do with anything. All right. (laughs) So this morning we are celebrating Palm Sunday. As Jason explained to us, it's this important day in the Christian calendar. It it is the the launching point of what we call Holy Week, a seven-day celebration here of the last week of Jesus' life and ministry. And it begins on this incredibly high note. And we know that as we move through the week, things begin to shift. And things begin to change. And by Friday, we have Jesus on the cross being crucified as a criminal. Being crucified 
for this for our salvation to take our sins upon himself taking the punishment of sin upon himself and the week grows dark as we move in that direction it grows dark and it grows heavy on us as we see the cross coming into view we've been watching for it all of this way through this season of lent we've been watching for it as it has come closer and closer and closer and now we can we can feel the weight of it in this week but we know the incredible truth that even though there are beautiful things accomplished on the cross that our salvation is accomplished on the cross even though it is this incredible moment for the christian it is not the end of the story right because three days later jesus christ is raised from the dead and the salvation is complete so not only does he overcome sin but he overcomes death itself and draws us into that resurrection life along with him that is where this week is going and it begins here on palm sunday as jason said it's called palm sunday because as jesus enters into the city of jerusalem he is greeted by by this incredible crowd and and, and john tells us even that the crowd ran out to meet him as he was on his way to the city the crowd went out to meet him in this parade in this celebration and they recognized him as the king they had been waiting for now now the ministry of jesus has been building and building and building and people are are swarming to him as we walk through this book together as we walk through this story of jesus together we see that just the crowd is pressing on him because they are recognizing truly who he is a couple of weeks ago we talked about the idea of the miracles of jesus and the fact that they are not just things in themselves but they are signs pointing to a larger truth pointing to a a larger story and that is the truth that jesus christ has come to bring redemption to the world and every one of the miracles every one of his groundbreaking teachings everything about his life is pointing to that truth that he is the son of god himself that he is the messiah we've been waiting for and that he has come to bring redemption to the world and the crowd on this day understood that they got that and they saw that and they recognized redemption is at hand and is walking into town redemption is here and 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 they just erupted in celebration erupted in celebration um we're going to start here with john chapter 12 and we're going to cover a good bit of ground this morning um but we're going to start here with john chapter 12 and and read the story of the triumphal entry of when jesus is coming into town just a quick little bit of background so he's coming into jerusalem And there would have been a massive crowd there to celebrate this important festival in the life of the Jewish people called Passover. It was a celebration where they would come together. People would come from the countryside, from all over the place, come into the city. Families would make their way, journey into the city to be a part of this celebration, to remember what God had done for the people of Israel through Moses when he set them free from slavery in Egypt. And so it's this incredible time in their lives this central story in the narrative of this people and they come together to celebrate that now the city would have been absolutely packed 
okay? I, um, the, the smallest estimate I was able to find, it's kind of weird, like the, the estimates that people give of how many people would have been in there. It balloons really huge. But the absolute smallest one, the, the extremely conservative estimate I was able to find is that in, in this kind of situation, there probably would have been 150,000 people crowding the streets for this, okay? So just to get your, your mind around that, the absolute smallest, okay, to wrap your mind around that, like think, think Franklin Street on Halloween, okay? Think Franklin Street on Halloween. This last Halloween, probably about 35,000 people. So Franklin Street on Halloween times four minus weirdness <laughs> all <right>. completely inappropriate <laughs> behavior okay all right so that's kind of the math equation that we have working here okay so this would have been packed the city would have just been slammed with people also in the minds of the people would have been this heightened sense of history they're talking about moses all week long they're talking and as they make their way even to the city they're retelling the story of the day when god saved israel from egypt when the greatest nation and most powerful nation in the world was brought to its knees and a rabble of slaves walked out in freedom and they're remembering this history and they're remembering god's goodness and god's redemption and god's rescue and god's salvation of them as a people their memory is on fire at this point and they are just completely have this heightened sense of history okay put into that the idea of this hope that they were waiting for this messiah and their belief that jesus was that messiah come to rescue them again to bring them this salvation that god promised again and this place would have been going nuts Okay, so put that into the equation. Also put into the equation that right before Jesus enters the city, right before he makes his way into the city, Jesus has performed the last of his miracles as a part of his ministry. And it wasn't turning water into wine. Okay, it wasn't helping a person see. He stood at the grave of a dead man and he called him by his name. And he said, Lazarus, my friend, come out of the grave. And a dead man walks out of the grave. Incredible. Incredible. How fast do you think that story would have been spreading? Add that into the equation of the crowd as well. So it says there's this massive crowd that was gathered around Jesus because he raised Lazarus from the dead and it said that many people had come to believe in jesus because of lazarus because of lazarus let me ask you this question real quick how many people are drawn to the beauty and the reality of christ because the truth of resurrection is alive in you how many people are looking at your life and saying that is a story of resurrection that person is caught up in what must be the real thing. That's just a question to let to let sit for a second, okay? So they're making their way to the city, this massive crowd that's coming around Jesus, and it says that people have come because of Lazarus. They're believing in all of these signs, and they're making their way to the city. At the same time, opposition is beginning to grow 
and people are plotting against Jesus. The plot against his life is already in motion. Now they hear about Lazarus, and it says that the same people that want to kill Jesus plot to kill Lazarus as well. And he's like, again? All right? Um, and so they're making their way. The, the crowd is, is growing. The, the, the sense of embrace of Jesus is growing. At the same time, the sense of opposition is growing. And the plan is really set in motion. Really set in motion here. As he's making his way and this crowd is following him, it says that in the city they heard that he was coming. And they began to make their way out to him as well. And so you have this swell of excitement and the swell of people coming out to see him. And then we have these, this imagery of all of this Messiah imagery colliding together in this moment. First of all, we have the palm branches, which would have been a sign of worship for the people. And they're waving palm branches at Jesus. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. They're waving palm branches to welcome him. Also, coming out of their mouths is this chant of Hosanna, which literally means save. Save. They're chanting, save us. Save us. They're recognizing that that is his role. And they're, they're welcoming their king who has come to save them. At the same time, you have this other piece of the imagery where it says that Jesus rides in not on a war horse ready to conquer, but he comes riding in on a donkey, right? It's like, wow, who is Jesus' marketing director? That does not seem like a very powerful symbol, right? But no, it was filled with significance because the people realized, first of all, it's the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy that Zion, behold your king, daughter of Zion, behold your king, coming riding in on a donkey. It's fulfilling that. The imagery would have sparked that memory for them. But also, it had other significant memory. A king riding out to battle would ride out on a war horse. A king returning in victory, bringing peace, would have come in on a donkey as a sign of peace, that he had come to bring peace. So we have all of this imagery colliding and bouncing off of each other in this moment of where the story has just just escalated and it's reached this point of, of just utter excitement in the city. The king has arrived. The Messiah is here. Hosanna, save us. Finally, you are here. This incredible excitement. And if we're writing the story, we say, Wrap it up, right? Drop the curtain. Let it fall on that moment. This is it. Jesus is the king. This is the conquering moment. This is incredible. But the story does not end there. In fact, this is the point in the book. At John chapter 12, there is a significant break in the book. Between John chapter 12, when it tells us this story of the triumphal entry of Jesus coming in. There's a break there between chapter 12 and chapter 13 where the book takes a dramatic, dramatic shift. How many of you have been a part of the story that meets at McAllister's when we've gone through the book of John and studied the book of John? If you've been through that, raise your hand. Okay, cool. You guys who just raised your hand, you're going to hate me for the next 30 seconds, all right? I'm going to do a little review on this, okay? But the book of John is broken down into two parts, and it, and it pivots right here at this moment where we're at, okay? Book 
uh, chapters 1 through 12 is the first part of the book. And it's referred to as the book of signs. Okay, over and over, either through Jesus' miracles or his teaching, signs pointing towards the fact that this is the Messiah, the Son of God, come to redeem the world. Okay, and you have this pattern that happens where it begins in the very beginning of the book of John where it talks about Jesus at his height, that Jesus was the word and that he was with God and he was God from the beginning. Everything is created through him. And yet the word became flesh. And we see this intentional descending in the life of Jesus, humbling himself and becoming one of us in this miracle of the incarnation. And from that point, then it begins to build back up. Okay, and so we see sign after sign after sign after sign. And and there are seven specific miracles pointed to in this part of the book. The seventh being and, and the completion of it being this resurrection of Lazarus. And then the book ends at this, that half ends at this escalation of the triumphal entry. And so we see this pattern in the life of Jesus, that he descends and humbles himself and is raised and raised and raised and raised. This point of final recognition here in the book. He is the king. He is the Messiah. Everything has been pointing to this. But then we begin chapter 13, and it begins the downward turn again. And at John chapter 13, we see the story beginning to descend again. And we're saying, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Where are we going? Don't take us down that road. Let's just end at this height. The story has to go down. The story has to go down. Here's the deal. Your story will be full of rising and falling. Your story will be full of rising and falling. But hold tight. Trust in the author. He knows what he is crafting and creating. He knows what he is doing. And in this part, the author begins to make the march downward to the cross, beginning with chapter 13. So we have this section here from chapter 13 through chapter 17. Okay? And so we've got 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. All of these chapters packed with almost exclusively the words of Jesus. And we have Jesus in the upper room with his disciples as he's in the last night with his disciples, and he's pouring the last bit of his teaching into his disciples. And as you look at these five chapters, you will see, if your Bible is is one that kind of highlights the words of Jesus with red letters, you will see it is just a sea of red letters, right? A little bit of indication here and there, Oh, that's not the words of Jesus, but almost that whole thing is discourse from Jesus speaking to his friends. And what we have here is John, his friend, almost wringing out his memory for every last drop of Jesus. Every word that came from his mouth, trying to record and recall what Jesus said. And so we have this, this progression here where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, shows that he's the servant. Jesus talks to them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks to them about the death that he's about to die. And it builds and it builds and it builds. And then we're picking up in 16 at this turn. And we're going to start here with verse, um, with verse 25 in chapter 16. So Jesus has been building. He's been talking to them. He's been teaching them this, this last opportunity to pour into them. And he says this. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming 
I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the father on your behalf. No, the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the father. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you did not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. This makes you believe, right? Seriously? Okay. And Jesus almost responds with this kind of thing of like, for real, guys? All right. Verse 31, he says, you believe at last. You believe at last. Some translations have that placed in the form of a question of, he says, now you believe. All right. Um, Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come. And you can see the shift beginning to happen from this celebration in this moment of just utter excitement to now the truth is beginning to set in. And he says, a time has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, you will leave me all alone. After everything that we've been through together, after the excitement of, of, of Palm Sunday, after the excitement of the parade and you just wanting to be in the middle of it and leading the charge. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone. For my father is with me. And then he says this. I have told you these things. So that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. Jesus here at the end. Begins to draw it in for his disciples. And he begins to try to help them understand exactly what has happened. And what is going to happen. And he lays it out for them. And there's this moment where they say, we believe, we believe. And it looks like this breakthrough moment. But Jesus knows as he follows it up here with what he says. Jesus knows that the breakthrough is just about to lead into a breakdown. And this belief and this courage that they have in this moment is going to fail. And Jesus looks around the table at his best friends. The guys that he has poured himself into. The guys that he handpicked. The guys that he has believed in and that have believed in him. And he looks around the table and he looks in their eyes and he knows they are going to abandon him. And he knows that they are going to fall. And he knows that they are going to fail. And he knows that they are going to be scattered. Scattered. What a word. It's like they're running for their lives. They're so quick to say, I'll do anything for you, Jesus. I will go anywhere with you. Let me be right at your right side. Let me stand at your right hand. And the minute the difficulty falls on them, they run for their lives. They're scattered. They're scattered. Jesus looks at them and he knows that they will fail. 
There's a quote I came across this week, a commentary that says this. It is part of the character and the genius of the church that its foundation members were discredited men. It's part of the character and the genius of this movement that the foundation members were discredited men. The church does not owe its existence to their faith, to their courage, or to their virtue. It owes its existence to what Christ had done with them and done for them. And this they could never forget. Beautiful. Beautiful. You and I are sitting around the table. We're the first ones at the parade when the crowd is going nuts and we're right in the middle of it and we're like getting in with Jesus, making sure we're in the picture with him, right? Like, yeah, I'm with him, I'm with him, I'm one of his guys. But then the story starts to turn and we are scattered because our courage fails and our hearts give way. Because our courage fails and our hearts give way and, and, and our character comes through. But here's the encouraging thing. Jesus knows this is going to happen and he calls these men anyway. He knew what, he knew what they were made of. He knew where this was going to go and he called them anyway. And he chose them anyway. And he poured himself into them anyway. And he went to the cross for them anyway because he knew what would be accomplished at the cross he knew what his mission was and he had courage enough for the whole lot of them and he has courage enough for all of us as well he knows that we will fall he knows that we will fail but he lets us share in his victory, the one that we could not win ourselves. Here how, here's how he wraps that up with them. There's one particular line that I left out when I read this, and that was on purpose. He says this to them, I have told you these things that in me you might have peace. That's kind of a strange way to give peace to people, right? To be like, oh, by the way, you're about to fail. You're going to scatter, and you're going to leave me by yourselves. Peace, all right? Seems a little weird to encourage people that way. But listen to what he says. In me, you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. He doesn't say, but take heart, guys. You will overcome the world. Just hang in there and you will. No, no. He says, you will fail. You will fall, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have won the victory that you never could win. I waded into the fight that you had no chance in, and I have come back the victor and the conqueror, and you are sharing that victory with me. We are wrapped up in this with him because he fought for us, because he fought the fight we could not win ourselves. Because he took it on himself, because it took him to the grave, because it buried him, and he raised himself back up as the conqueror. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. In this world, you will have trouble. I promise you that. These are the words of Jesus. I promise you that. 
but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I love the way these two phrases are put up next to each other. And they're, they're laid over top of each other intentionally here. Even the way that the phrases are structured mirrors each other. Jesus says, in me, you may have peace. In me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. In the world, you will have trouble. They're put up next to each other on purpose. He doesn't say may because it's like, eh, maybe, you know, hopefully if you get lucky. No, 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 no. You may as in it is available for you, as in you can. If you embrace what Christ has done for you, then in this world you may have peace. Or in him you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The peace that I give to you, the peace that I have won for you through this struggle and through this fight, that I've laid my life down for you and picked it back up again, through that you may have peace in this world, even though you are surrounded by trouble. I love what happens with the disciples who are scattered. They are indeed scattered. And when trouble comes, they run. You know, what's interesting is it's not the last time that the disciples get scattered. There's another time when they disperse as well. And it's in the book of Acts. After the Holy Spirit has has fallen on the people and the promise of Jesus has come true. He's died, been raised back to life, ascended to the Father and sent the Spirit down for his people. Now the people are empowered to go into all the world. And this movement breaks out because they're empowered by the Holy Spirit and they go to places where the story of Jesus had never been before. And everywhere they step their foot, a new piece of the kingdom of God is planted. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus had it right. Absolutely, they were scattered that first time, but they also were scattered a second time as the Spirit sent them out. The first time it was because of a failure of courage. The second time it was because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see these men become totally different people. On the other side of the resurrection and on the other side of being filled with the Holy Spirit. They become men who later are marked by a strange word. Marked by a strange word in the book of Acts. It says that they look at Peter. They look. At John, these disciples who had run, who had been scattered, who had abandoned Jesus. And in Acts, it says that they looked at them and the people were amazed because they were men of courage. Courage. Beautiful. It is beautiful. Jesus promises us we will have trouble, but we can have peace because he has overcome the world. And what we see on Palm Sunday of the king coming in to the crowd screaming, Hosanna, save us, Savior, salvation. That is just a small window into what the king was about to do and into the way that the king was about to claim his crown. And he says, in this world you will have trouble. It's demonstrated through his own life as the world turns against him. But take 
heart, I have overcome the world. That victory is. He catches us up in it. And he wins for us the fight that we had no chance of winning on our own. It's a beautiful thing. He is the husband who has fought for his bride. He is the husband who fights for his bride and wins for her, her salvation, and continues to be for her her hope. And that is us. That is us. As we begin Palm, uh, as we begin this Holy Week, celebrating this Palm Sunday, this week of celebration, week of remembering what God did in Jesus for us. Let's remember that it begins with this coronation, but that's only a preview of what's about to happen. And he claims his crown for real on the cross and through the resurrection. And our hearts are filled with hope. And because of that, we do take heart. And because of that, we are moved with courage. And because of that, we are sent. We are scattered, not because of the failure of our courage, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit alive in us and at our backs. Father, thank you. We're grateful for this day, for what this day means. We celebrate it. And even though we have an eye on the cross as it makes its way towards us, we know that our hope is in you. That you are the one who wades into the fight we had no chance of winning. You are the one looks like you go down in defeat. But three days later, you are raised in ultimate victory. And it's a victory that we get to share in ourselves. We thank you. And we do take heart because of what you've done. Amen.